Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. In a world of ever-rising healthcare costs, a solid understanding of Medicare is not just a luxury, it's a necessity. Imagine navigating your retirement with clarity and confidence, free from the fear of unexpected medical bills or penalties. Now, whether you're a decade away from retirement or just around the corner, getting the inside scoop on Medicare now can save you stress, time, and money down the road. I'm Patrice Sikora with Jim Cruzan, and in this episode, we get to the core of Medicare, unraveling its intricacies and paving a path to help make for a more simplified Medicare experience. Jim, good to see you again. Uh, by the way, uh, Grandpa, how's it going with the grandson? Uh, <laughs> it's going great. It's, uh, <laughs> it's better than anticipated. It is wonderful. Oh, outstanding. Well, and now let's get to the other end of the age spectrum. And we're talking about <laughs> Medicare. So how did Medicare get started? What brought it into existence? Yeah. So Medicare has been around now for 58 years. It uh, got started under the uh, Johnson administration, uh, July 30th, 1965. And it was really an effort to provide healthcare coverage and, and, and improve uh, one's uh, financial condition uh, for those over age 65. Because back then, uh, the lion's share of healthcare opportunities sort of rested inside the employer's group healthcare coverage. And uh, as it was then, and as it typically is now, as one transitions in the retirement, often they lose some of those coverages if they're no longer actively employed. So a lot of healthcare uh, back in the mid-60s, and, and certainly previous to that, uh, was self-funded. Uh, so in an effort to provide coverage for those who are retired, uh, Medicare, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, was created. And uh, it's available to everyone who is uh, age 65 or over. Uh, it's essentially free, at least the, the Part A benefit. We'll get into that in a bit more detail. It's free to those who are receiving Social Security. So the implication is you qualify for Social Security, uh, which is being able to work and pay into Social Security for 10 years or, or 40 quarters. For those who have a limited work history and haven't fully paid in, uh, it's also available, but uh, with a, a premium for the Part A benefit. Initially, the, the Medicare was considered just a hospitalization plan with an option for physician costs, and we'll talk a little bit about that in, in, in a moment. Beyond age 65, it is also available for a certain subset of the population, typically folks with particular disabilities. For example, anyone who has end-stage renal failure or chronic renal conditions typically will qualify for Medicare, as will those who have uh, ALS, 
And that qualification has nothing to do with age. But generally, when you think about Medicare, it's typically a federal retirement-based healthcare program. All right. It took me a number of years to understand the difference between Medicare and Medicaid. Talk about that. Yeah, it's a little confusing because it, it sounds very, very similar. And in the case of Medicare and Medicaid, uh, they were both created at exactly the same time. While Medicare focuses on a post-retirement health care solution, Medicaid was initially put in place to cover uh, a subset of the population that was considered either low-income or certain mothers and, and, and children. The plan is, is really quite large today. Uh, in fact, when you consider Medicaid today, and it's been expanded, uh, it covers not only qualified pregnant women and children, uh, it also covers others on a state-by-state basis. Medicare is a federal program. Medicaid is a joint federal and state program. So when it comes to eligibility and what is provided, it can vary state by state. Mm. So some states, for example, will cover foster children, foster families, and also folks that are residing in uh, community homes uh, you know, based on, on service organizations. So uh, there's been somewhat of an expansion there. A huge expansion took place in 2010 under the Affordable Care Act. With the Affordable Care Act, the decision was to now expand Medicare or Medicaid rather to cover nearly every single low-income American under age 65. So what is considered low income? Yeah. Uh, what they use is what's referred to as the federal poverty level. And to qualify, your income has to be something less than 133% of that level. So right now, for a single person, it's approximately 18000 a year of modified adjusted gross income. For a family of four, it's about 37000 a year. In addition, when you consider Medicaid, as well as the uh, Child Health Insurance Program, which is CHIP, now... There are 72 and a half million Americans that are covered under Medicaid. And Medicaid is now the single largest source of health care in the United States. I did not know that. Yeah, it is amazingly large. And the scope continues to expand. So whereas in 65, we were worried about certain low-income folk. It's been expanded now to cover mothers, children, and many others. And in some states, it's even more expansive than others. For example, without particulars, California and New York may in fact have greater exposure and an opportunity to cover even more people with respect to their states. Wow! So it's really quite a large program. All right. Well, let's jump back to Medicare because that's what we wanted to focus on here. And I understand, and I know from experience, there are four parts to Medicare. Tell me about those. Yeah, actually the four parts. Well, originally when it first started, uh, there were really just two parts. And of course, it it's the expanded. government though. Come on. Exactly. Expanded. So it's expanded a little bit over time. So uh, maybe a, just a brief 
review of, of, of history. So way back when, in 1965, when this thing was created, uh, as I said before, it was created primarily to provide some financial relief uh, and healthcare to those who are now post-65 who may or may not have coverage extended to them in retirement. At that time, the biggest single cost of Medicare, and to a large degree, the way most group policies worked back in the mid-60s and earlier, most healthcare was predominantly a hospitalization plan. Mm. Um, all the other costs were considered secondary to hospitalization. And when you consider a retiree, hospitalization costs tend to be quite large, and they also tend to be quite lumpy. Very, very difficult to budget and plan for, whereas the reoccurrence of a physical or maybe some prescription drug, as thought about in the mid-60s, was more easily planned for and, and easier to maintain and control. So originally, Medicare was Part A, which was strictly primarily hospitalization. Mm -hmm. Prescription drug, or I'm sorry, uh, physician services, outpatient services, those things were considered secondary. And that was the Part B benefit. And the Part B benefit covers physician services, outpatient services, et cetera. Those were originally thought of as being somewhat secondary to the hospitalization, which was the main event. Mm -hmm. And originally in 1965, that was kind of an opt-in. Today, uh, when you enroll in Medicare, either by yourself or automatically, we'll get into that in a bit more detail, uh, we consider Medicare a combination of both Part A and Part B. And that's kind of the way Medicare worked for a number of years since 1965. In 1997, uh, there was the addition of the Medicare Plus Choice Act, which effectively established Medicare Part C. And Medicare Part C is, is an opt-in, and it is really a managed care um, alternative. It's a managed care choice. The idea was, let's attempt to integrate the physician cost with the hospitalization cost and see if there's an opportunity to effectively reduce those costs. So Medicare uh, Choice or Medicare Advantage, as it's called, uh, was created. Now there's a difference between, let's call it traditional Medicare and Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage has and typically will offer a few additional services. Typically with Medicare Advantage, uh, you will see vision, dental coverage, and in some cases, health-promoting activities as well. So it looks as if there's a huge expansion in terms of the benefits provided. The disadvantage is because it's a managed care function, um, you eliminate uh, your flexibility in terms of physicians and hospitalization. You may find by opting onto a Medicare Advantage program, you will not have the same doctors you had before. You might have some, but not all. Think of the Advantage program as a an HMO or a PPO, right. uh, where you have a, a book of providers and you may or may not find your providers there. If you're not planning on leaving an area, 
if your providers are available to you under the Advantage program, that's terrific. It's really interesting, though, because the Medicare Advantage program is, is outside the confines of the government. What I mean by that is that program is managed and run by for-profit healthcare companies, very large companies like Mutual of Omaha, Aetna, United Health run those programs, not the federal government. So effectively, you're opting out of Medicare. Those programs are paid by Medicare. So Medicare is paying United Health if you've opted for the Medicare Advantage program under United Health. It's really interesting uh, that since this program, Part C, came into existence, we've seen a huge increase in uh, television advertisements, oh, especially yeah. during the enrollment okay. period for Medicare. 100% of those ads are for a Medicare Advantage program, not for traditional Medicare. And the reason is the more ads they run, the more people they can uh, opt into their program, and then the more money they get from Medicare. So it's a huge advantage to run those ads and get an awful lot of people on that program. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It will work for some. But if you're on Medicare Advantage, there is a particular window of opportunity to swap out back into Medicare if you elected to do so. If you're outside that window, it may be a little bit more difficult because at that point, unlike going into Medicare originally, now your health comes into play. And the uh, Medigap policies, which are the policies you need over and above Medicare to cover the deductibles and copays that are also offered by for-profit corporations, they may require medical underwriting. And if you're not quite so healthy or have uh, an acute or chronic condition, they may charge you a premium for the Medicare gap coverage, this alternative set of coverages that you're going to need as well. Uh, which is an entirely different program. Uh, there are, we could spend an hour talking about the alphabet soup of Medigap. So it's important to understand the, the difference between the, the two. And then uh, a bit later, Medicare expanded once again, and that was Medicare Part D. So Medicare Part D is the uh, prescription drug coverage. And that was uh, written into law in 2003 under the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act. <laughs> and it now provided drug coverage that didn't exist before. It was covered under just the regular major med coverage. And it's also interesting that since Medicare uh, started covering prescriptions through a prescription policy, the number of ads for branded drugs have gone through the roof as well. I rocketed. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's like every 10th ad in our marketplace is for some patented drug. I'll, t I'll say it, here, it's almost every other one. It's, it's it, it, it could be. Yeah. It's very, very localized. And, and as a result, when you consider going back to when uh, Medicare originated and the primary concern was hospitalization, it's been almost a complete 
flip. And what I mean by that is through the advent of outpatient services, those kinds of things, the real cost for most retirees are the uh, pre- prescription drug costs oh, yeah. and a lot of the uh, outpatient and physician services uh, that were considered 58 years ago kind of secondary. Right. As a result of that, and as a result of the explosion in, in drug costs, both in terms of the, the marketing and the branding and, and kind of driving that intent, a, a new expansion was written in the law just last year. And in 2022, the Inflation Protection Act was created. And for the first time, it now requires Medicare to negotiate prices uh, uh, with certain drug companies. Now, this is very limited. It's only on a handful of brand name drugs at this point, but it puts caps and penalties if we see within those particular drugs an increase in cost that is outside the range of normal Mm -hmm. inflation. So for the first time, uh, there's an expectation that we might be able to pull in the reins on this explosion of, of drug cost, at least with initially with a very limited number of, of, of drugs. Now, this is a very important part of the program. The prescription drugs, like you say, have become a major part of healthcare. But there is a hole in here. There's a hole, Jim, in this whole prescription drug thing. Tell me about it, because yeah. if you fall into that hole, you're screwed. Yeah, well, it's and it's something that you, you certainly have to have to recognize if it becomes a problem or not. Yeah. And then how do you plan for it? Yeah, it's uh it's not perfect. And and it, and it has to do with the the integration of kind of traditional Medicare and and this prescription drug cost coverage. Essentially there are there are several different elements in this. And uh, it has a lot to do with what your spend is uh and where you are throughout your 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 year. So there's the the first phase which is called the deductible phase, where you're essentially paying for the drugs yourself until you hit your deductible limit. Mm -hmm. Much like traditional major med when you were employed by an employer. So you're paying for it out of pocket through the deductible phase. You hit your deductible phase, and now you have your initial coverage. And the initial coverage uh, will have a copay component. So for every drug, you pay a portion, and then the drug insurance company will pay a portion as well. So now uh, there is some benefit to um, that you're receiving from the drugs you're you're purchasing. That is only up to a total spend that is your spend and the insurance company spend. Think of that as total drug cost. Currently for this year, it is $4,660. So you are fine as long as your total drug cost, what you and the drug company, uh, the insurance company spend for the drug is underneath this $4,660. At that point, you fall into this coverage gap, which is also called the donut hole. Right. And you, at that point, are fully responsible again for the drug cost, much like you were under the deductible 
part of your coverage before you entered the initial coverage stage with copay. And you stay in that donut hole until total drug cost, you and the uh, insurance provider spend a total of this year, $7,400. And then once you're once you've spent $7,400 total cost of drugs consumed, you are then in the catastrophic coverage phase. And at that point, all you pay is a 5% copay. So whatever the drug cost is, you're responsible for 5%. The insurance company picks up 95%. And that's fine for anything over $7,400 until you get to the end of the term when the limits all reset back to zero and you start with the deductible plan all over again. So if you are on a significant amount of very expensive drugs, uh, yes, there's some out-of-pocket cost, but generally you're going to find that over the course of a year, a lot more of the drug costs will be covered by the insurance company. If you're generally healthy and have a few drugs that you'll take because of some periodic illness, flu, whatever the case might be, uh, you're going to find that, well, you know, geez, uh, this coverage seems to be somewhat non-existent uh, mm. because you're sort of paying for all of it under the deductible phase as well. But if you're like most people and you have some recurring drugs that you take regularly, people are very surprised uh, that first year of what that donut hole looks like because it wasn't explained. They don't understand it. And as we can see, that gap, $4,660 up to $7,400, you know, that's approximately $3,000 per person. So for a family, in addition to the premiums you're, you're paying for your Part B benefit, uh, in addition to the Medigap coverage you have, in addition to the deductibles and co-pays that you would expect to have, all of a sudden now you've got another potentially $6,000 per family that you have to fund as well. Jim, do you know why they created that that gap? I, uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. It doesn't it does not, make much sense. Yeah. No, it, it, it yeah, it doesn't. I, in fact, uh, Patrice, I, I actually tried getting an answer on that because I thought this, this is really kind of weird. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and I I didn't get a great. Every time I googled it, uh, what it did is it wanted to explain to me what the donut hole was, <laughs> which I I understood, but not as to why we 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 have it. So, yeah, just kind of odd. It's uh, it's all the more reason why it's important to kind of plan ahead. Right? Yeah, know exactly what you're getting. And speaking of of planning ahead and getting into these wonderful programs, uh, so clear as mud. <laughs> what about enrollment? You mentioned there was there were some time limits you had to pay attention to. Uh, yeah, uh, and and for a lot of folk who elect to take Social Security early or taking it uh, in or before age sixty five, it, it does become kind of an automatic enrollment. You just run on to Medicare at age 65. But for others, uh, you've got to be aware of of these enrollment periods. Uh, and those people who would need to be aware of this are, are those who might elect not to take Social Security at 65 and want to hold out until 
full retirement age, which for some is 66 to 67, or further still to age 70. Also, uh, there may be others who are fully covered by their own employer healthcare plan post age 65, and they're actively and fully engaged with that company, fully working, not retired. But uh, there are essentially three different enrollment periods that we have to be aware of. Again, this is a government program and nothing is ever so neat and concise and and easy, much like there are four different programs with Medicare. There are now three different enrollment periods. The initial enrollment period is generally used at the time that one is getting close to turning age 65 and you're enrolling in Medicare. And the presumption is you're 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 not uh, receiving any coverage through an employer or others uh, beyond that. And it's really a seven-month period. It covers the three months before the month you turn age 65. It includes the month you turn age 65, and it then includes the three months following the month you turn age 65. So it's a seven-month period. And at that point, most people who would enroll will enroll in that uh, program, both Part A as well as Part B. Uh, Some, depending on whether there is any continual coverage, uh, may elect to just enroll in Part A. Um, if If you're working with an employer, you may want to enroll in A and then wait till you fully retire to enroll in B. We'll talk about that in a, in a second. If you don't enroll during the initial period, there is also general enrollment. And general enrollment typically has a flurry of advertisements on television as well. And that's January uh, 1st through March 31st. Think of that as the first quarter of the year. Now, the problem with general enrollment is this is for folks who are signing up for Medicare after they missed the initial enrollment period. So this gives you another crack at enrolling, but it usually uh, results in some type of penalty for missing the initial period. And that penalty can be quite substantial. Uh, In the case of Part A, uh, it's a 10% premium bump. So effectively, you're going to pay a surcharge to your Part A benefit. Uh, If the Part A benefit was free uh, and you, you missed it, I'm not quite sure whether or not you are required to pay whatever that that cost would have been, but there's a cost. Now, it's not permanent, but it's it's effectively for twice the period of time that you missed the initial enrollment period. So, as an example, you could have enrolled during the initial period a year ago. You are now one full year removed from the initial period. You realize, oh my goodness, I forgot to sign up for Medicare. You sign up for Medicare under the general enrollment period, and uh, they will charge you this surcharge effectively for two years, and then it drops off. That's for part A. For part B, 
It's also a 10, and again, part B is physician, outpatient, et cetera. It's also a 10% penalty, but it's 10% for every year that you missed the initial enrollment period. So two years removed from the initial enrollment period, you say, oh my goodness, I should have enrolled. I forgot. Let me enroll now. You're two years removed. They charge you 10% for every year you missed. So now the penalty is 20%, but it's effectively 20% for the rest of your life. Wow. That's for part B. B. And then for part D, which is prescription, they charge you a penalty of 1% per every month oh, for that you miss. Mistakes. You're so it's, it's essentially 12% a year. So in that same scenario, if you were two years out, you're going to have a 10% penalty on part A that's going to carry for four years. You're going to have a 20% penalty on part B that's going to continue for the rest of your life and a 24% penalty on part D that will also continue for the rest of your life. So it's important not to miss the initial enrollment period. Now, those are hefty, hefty penalties. They, they are. And, and the, the premiums for part B and, and D are, are substantial, especially for a couple. When you take those and multiply, it's several thousand, three, four thousand a year. It's $164 and some change mm-hmm. for part A. And, and then after a certain modified adjusted gross income, you start paying for part D, uh, which is $24. Now, you know, multiply that by two, you start adding penalties to it. It becomes very expensive very quickly. So the third enrollment period is what's referred to as the special enrollment period. And really consider that just a a catch-all for folks who have yet to enroll during the initial period that has good reason or cause. And, And really, the only good reason or cause would be someone who was working, is now beyond age 65, was gainfully employed covered under an employer healthcare program where they simply didn't need Medicare. Or in the case of a spouse whose working spouse is still working, might be younger, Mm -hmm. might be older, but is also covered and they have full healthcare coverage as a family or as uh, as a spouse under the employer care. If that's the case, you have the ability to go back apply as if you've never missed the initial period. And there's some timing on this as well. And the timing is you've got to do this within the first eight months of you either retiring and or losing the healthcare. So if you're 69 and for the last four years, you've enjoyed healthcare at that point, you lose the coverage. You now have eight months, mm-hmm. no more, no less, to go back and enroll in uh, in Medicare. Can well, if with all these enrollment periods, why can't <laughs> you just at sixty five automatically say, "Okay, I'm in"? 
Yeah. For the, for the most part, for the vast majority, that's exactly what happens. For a, a lot of uh, folk who rely heavily on social security, it's just a, a an easy transition. Once you're 65, it's uh, essentially auto-enrolled. The problem is when you start looking at other clients where we're invoking certain wealth strategies, uh, it may very well be that we're delaying the receipt of social security to later. So as a good rule of thumb, it certainly makes sense to contact the Social Security Administration regarding Medicare and your eligibility three months before you turn 65, whether or not you plan on taking it, whether or not you believe you need to take it, it's better to explain the situation and let them opine on whether you will in any way miss out on the initial enrollment period. In some cases, you may elect to enroll in Part A in spite of the fact that you have health care through an employer and then delay the Part B benefit. And the reason for that is certain healthcare plans, group plans through employers, uh, may very well integrate with Medicare. As is typically the case with, with many of the larger um, healthcare programs, those covering uh, employees of 100 or more, what will happen is any healthcare bill that comes in is generally first covered uh, through the employer plan, and then Medicare becomes the secondary. Mm-hmm. So any deductible copay you might have, Medicare may very well cover that. In the case of a smaller group plan with 100 or less employees, what typically happens is Medicare, in that case, becomes the primary uh, health care, and then the group health care program you have becomes secondary and then fills in the gap. Oh. So it might very well make sense, even though you are covered through work, to uh, enroll in Medicare. But having a direct conversation with Social Security regarding your particular situation may very well make sense. And we should have some resources that we'll have available in the show notes uh, following this presentation. All right, fantastic. Well, you, you mentioned retirement planning too. What, why do you have to worry about Medicare when you're planning for retirement? Yeah, well, today, uh, as, it's, as it's always been, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty around healthcare costs, especially in retirement. Uh, additionally, healthcare costs have typically increased at an inflation rate uh, that's been far greater than normal inflation. So getting an idea and getting some degree of confidence around what those costs will be so as to be able to better budget one's healthcare cost and what one needs in retirement is extremely important. And uh, being able to execute the Medicare strategy correctly so as not to incur these huge penalties for missing out on the opportunity is is significant. Uh, How do we pay for this uh, is an issue. How much income are we receiving in uh, in retirement from various sources? Not only now, but later down the road, if we decided to delay Social Security, if we decide to delay taking money out of our retirement plans until 73, what does that look like? And and many folk may find that when they retire, sometime into retirement, they may be tripping these income ceilings uh, as, as it relates to Medicare through their modified adjusted gross income. 
And if they do that, then all of a sudden they wake up to the fact that in addition to the deductibles and co-pays and donut holes and all this other stuff that we've dealt with, now they're paying 50, 100, dollars $300 more per month per person for the Medicare Part B benefit that they they thought they were originally paying. So the $164.90 uh, a month can quickly uh, grow to two, three, four, five hundred dollars a month or more per person, depending on the amount of modified adjusted gross income they they have. So, planning cash flow post retirement is extremely important. Identifying where the income is. You know, if somebody just simply decided to do a, a Roth IRA conversion uh, because they thought it was a great idea without looking at what impact that'll have on taxes, they might not only see that they'll be in a much higher bracket, but now they're also paying what turns out to be an additional tax by paying a higher premium for the Medicare coverage they have. So it's important to plan uh, uh, ahead uh, for all of that. In addition, once you elect Medicare, assuming you're electing traditional Medicare, you have to also uh, go into the marketplace and select a Medicare gap policy or a Medigap policy. Think of that as an insurance policy that overlays Medicare and it covers, it provides coverage just to the extent of the deductibles and co-pays that you'd be responsible for with Medicare Part A and Medicare Part B. So the idea is between the gap and Medicare A and B, uh, you have a policy that looks an awful lot like a major med policy or something that you would be quite familiar with having coverage through work at some point. And uh, those policies are not particularly expensive. They're, they're, uh, they're priced out uh, based on locale and, and age. So they vary depending on the community you live in and the average cost of coverage in those communities. But think of that as maybe $150 or so per person per month, just for the gap coverage to say nothing of Medicare. So if Medicare Part B is $164 and there's $155, you're looking at $300, $350 of premium cost per person. So all of a sudden that's an eight or $9,000 a year spend. Right. to say nothing of the donut hole and the other things as well. So it's important to certainly get some clarity about what that is and what that turns out to be. All right, Jim, we have covered so much in this episode, so much. Where can listeners go to keep themselves updated on Medicare? I mean, the timelines, the the coverage, and of course, any upcoming changes. Best place to go would be medicare.gov. That's medicare.gov. That's a government agency website. Uh, you go there, there's all kinds of information. You can also visit medicare.gov to sign up for Medicare. Although I would certainly talk to social security first regarding that and for any other information that we discussed today. Also in the show notes, uh, we will have a checklist on what's covered and what's not covered under Medicare. Uh, we will also talk about uh, Medicare enrollment planning cheat sheet, uh, which will talk about all those different enrollment periods and the trip ups and what to watch out for. All right, then. 
Listeners, in today's chat, we did journey through the intricate landscape of Medicare, tracing its origins, detailing components, highlighting essential timelines. We also examined how Medicare impacts the financial side of retirement, and we shared valuable insights for future beneficiaries. So as we wrap up, keep in mind that a clear understanding of Medicare can pave the way for a smoother retirement journey. And please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments. Please share topics you'd like us to discuss as well. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.